Special guest this time joining us for a three-man booth is Dwayne Sibley. He is joining us here today from Hammer Gaming and many other geek interests. I spoke to him on my other podcast, Ego Check, back in October 2017. We were talking about world building in role-playing games, diversity, representation, and that was right around the time that the Black Panther trailer had, had come out. And today we're all gathering to talk about Avengers Endgame and the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. So welcome to the show, everybody. How are y'all doing? Doing pretty well, Michael. Uh, thank you for having me back on the show. It's been uh, it's been a little bit of time. Yes, it's been a it's been a couple of years. That's I don't know where the time goes now with a little toddler. <laughs> and I, I'm doing fine. I know you don't care, but but doing well over here. I care. I did just see you <laughs> two nights ago as we were watching Game of Thrones. Yes, true. So no, uh, I guess we can. Well, it, we're going to be spoiling things for Avengers Endgame too. And if there's Game of Thrones spoiler, then you know you're warned. But for me, yeah, it's been a lot of closure on big franchises. So I've mm-hmm. been playing through the end of Red Dead Redemption, which refuses to end i thought the game was over and then it's like epilogue chapter one it's like oh no (laughs) then there was just when you thought you were out just when i thought i was out they pulled me back in avengers endgame which was uh three hours of spectacle that we're going to dive into here today and then of course uh, game of thrones a couple nights ago was the big uh, battle of winterfell it's been a lot of emotional heavy media to consume and I'm excited to have a couple of folks here to digest and process all that. So Chris and I had seen the movie together with his son, Will, a common shout out from, from our pod. <laughs> Will has partaken <laughs> in several of our activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of gotten a sense of Chris's thoughts on it. But, but Dwayne, where, when did you see it? What were your initial thoughts? Um, I saw Endgame on at a matinee on Sunday, so two days ago now, and my initial thoughts were, well, what's that, uh, what's that mathematical symbol for null with the the zero with the line through it? Like yeah. there there were there were no thoughts in my head coming out of it. It was just <laughs> it, it it was it was a lot. Like that that movie was a meal, and I'm. St- Still not quite fully recovered from it. Um, you know, 11 years, 20 plus movies and a whole lot of emotional investment just all got tied together into one. I'm, I'm going to say not so neat bow. And <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot. There was there was a lot, definitely a, a bit of emotional shock going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, what are your thoughts? Because we saw it together on Friday night. Uh, right. With your son and another friend of ours. Uh, right. We were in a packed Alamo Draft House theater, which if you have any access possible to one of those theaters, do yourself a favor and go see a movie in mm-hmm. one of those locations. 
so what were your takeaways from from the film? Well, one, uh, I, I hydrated too much before the movie, so I, I missed a little bit of important <laughs> Captain America closure. Uh, yeah, but, so, um, okay, we're going to be talking about spoilers here for Endgame, so if you have not seen the movie, mm-hmm. you know, hit pause, go see the movie, come back. So we're, like, the emotional climax of the film, all of a sudden, Chris is like, <laughs> I gotta go to the bathroom. We're we're at, like, the two-hour and 48-minute mark, and now is Yo, the time man. he decides, uh, you know what, I just got, I gotta, I gotta take a break. So, <laughs> unlike you, the film did feel long to me, and so I really thought we were about at the three-hour mark a good 25, 30 minutes before we actually were, and so I had been in moderate pain for about <laughs> 20 minutes before I had to finally give it up. So, yeah, I'm going to need to re-see the, the Captain America portion of the ending. I mean, I think I get the gist of what happened because I sprinted to the bathroom and sprinted back, but still it's, and, and I was so, I was boasting as we're sitting there before and I'm having a beer and you guys are like, Oh, you were going to have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, no, no, if if I haven't broken the seal, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But I forgot (laughs) that that I had another problem. I was like, go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. before the show. No, I did. No, no, no. I did go to the bathroom before the show. Let's be clear. I did do that. I, I just forgot. Didn't we all learn that from you know taking family trips as as youngins? You know, <laughs> you always go before you hop in the car. I mean, and I did. I just forgot that I had had I had had a, a, an active Thursday night and had been you know drinking a lot more water throughout the day than I usually would. And I, yeah, I was doomed. I was doomed. So so this was right in the old Steve conversation, correct? Is right when you left? Yes. <laughs> that is so it'll be, it'll a be fun to time to leave yeah i agree it'll be fun to rewatch yeah so i wanted to to structure this a little bit because there's any number of directions to to go in, in the in discussing this movie mm-hmm. but starting with the positives because i'm an optimistic guy i like i like good times um what worked in the movie, we'll stick with this movie for for starters, and then expand out from there. But mm-hmm. with Endgame, what what worked for you and why? So so Dwayne, I'll send it in your direction first. Uh, well, two things really stand out for me the uh, the time heist. I, I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was a really cool way to bring Ant Man's particular milieu into the film and get all of the other Avengers involved. And, you know, that that was that was captivating in a way that I did not expect it to be. And the second one is the uh, the explanation of time travel in general was the other thing that really worked out for me, because I love that they they took the effort to explain in layman's terms to all the audience that, no, it's not going to be a Marty McFly thing where you go back in time and you interfere with your own birth and then you start to fade away into nothingness. Every time you change something, it doesn't change you. It just it spawns a new alternate timeline. Right. Don't bet on sports. Don't bet on sports. Yeah, don't bet on sports because, I mean, it's not going to be you're you're not going to be rich when you get back to 2023. It's just Mm -hmm. not going to work that way. Right. So, Chris, for you, yeah. what what were the things that that worked? You hinted at some of the things that you felt maybe didn't work so well, but what what did work for you? 
Well, I mean, anything with Fat Thor in it. And and if that's <laughs> wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I love Ragnarok and just that character since that sort of evolution of uh, is you know, I'm, I'm all about it. So all those scenes worked well for me. Um, I mean, I think with a Marvel movie, like I never sit down to take it super serious and, you know, what? deeply analyze. I, I, I know, I know, uh, you know, I was not an Avengers comic book reader. I, you know, this may get my nerd card revoked. I have not read the comic book version of this, of the infinity war. So I am able to just kind of sit down and enjoy them for being a popcorn movie and not think too hard about anything. So if, from that perspective, almost everything worked for me, I would say. There were a, f- a few things that, you know, we, we can get into at some point. But uh, but again, my short answer is, is Fat Thor. Yeah, I mean, you touched on you both touched on uh, a couple of things that that worked for me. I I really enjoyed the surprise factor of the first 15, 20 minutes or so where they find Thanos and kind of unceremoniously kill him and mm-hmm. nothing really changes. And they, they discover, you know, we're, we're defeated. We can't do anything about this. And then it sort of sits with that reality for a little while. And I'm just wondering, well, where is this going? And then of course, Ant-Man comes into play and then, the whole time heist segment of the film was just brilliant. It was like all of a sudden there are these characters that they built up over 20 films and now they all get to live out in Ocean's Eleven. It was was really well done. It gave the movie uh, a pace that was just... To me, like I said, the movie just seemed like it was zipping right along because... You have the first segment where it's kind of establishing things. Okay, we're going after Thanos. Then it goes from that into this new reality. Then it's like, okay, we're doing this time heist preparation. And the total time heist thing, you got to see these old characters that weren't necessarily significant players in this film. But anytime I get to see Loki doing things, it's like, sign me up. I'll watch him (laughs) drinking tea for a half hour and just being snarky with people. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was great to see him. It was great to see them highlight maybe some of the movies in the past that haven't been the strongest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I just this past weekend, I was flipping through channels and I saw that uh, Dark World was on, which is a movie I saw once in the theater. And I think it's a theater that I almost got into a fight with somebody because I told them to be quiet. Yes, you are correct. I believe you were with me in that. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Thankfully, no, nothing bad happened. Um, But I thought that movie was okay, and it's great to see Loki being Loki. But that movie was on, and I was curious because it's like, oh, right, they go back there. And I saw Renee Russo just doing her thing in the movie, and it just, it sort of made my connection to that movie a little stronger. I was like, oh, like Mm. there's stuff, this means something in the greater universe now in retrospect. Um, Mm -hmm. So the time heist stuff was, was really cool. Uh, you refer to it as Fat Thor. I'm going to refer to it as just Chris Hemsworth being amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what he's right. done with that character has, what's it over now? Six movies, I guess he's been in. Yeah. Uh, overall, like Thor Ragnarok's my favorite movie of the entire MCU. It just seems like he's really trying. And I, 
that's a just a general thing for all the actors and i I, avengers is no different it's just that like they're trying to do something it's not just like hey we're in a comic book movie let's mail it in like they're playing characters they're they're doing interesting things with those characters and that just really worked for me you're saying it's not cannibal run with an ensemble cast that just got together to like drink and party and get it on I mean, there's something to be said for that, too. <laughs> oh, I love Cannibal Run. So that that really worked. And just, to your point about Thor there, Michael, yeah, uh, if you include the after credit scene from uh, Doctor Strange, Hemsworth has played Thor in eight different Marvel films. Eight, okay. So I know it was a lot, but yeah, eight, wow. Yeah, there, there's the three <laughs> Thor films. There's now four Avengers films that he's been in and the Doctor Strange cameo. And I, I don't want to belabor the point. The the final thing I would say that, that really worked for the movie is just how rousing the finale was. Like, you could not help but just be a little kid watching all that come together. And mm-hmm. I, I read a good article this, this week about it. And I don't know if it was The Ringer or another website like Vanity Fair or something where there was a writer reviewing the film and they talk about a splash page in a comic where it's this big two-page spread and it's meant to be very eye-catching and sort of changes the nature of the story in a significant way. And there's just this enormous slow pan of the battlefield where all the heroes show up and you just couldn't help to be overwhelmed by it. And they did it so well. And then a few minutes later, they did the same thing with all the female characters, which was just amazing. And it was obvious to me, but I didn't feel like it was totally overstated or they were trying to beat you over the head with it, but it was just, it was awesome. That whole entire finale was just so well done. And just, it was like them, like they had built up all these chips over 20 movies and it's like, we're all in, here we go. Like, and uh, it, it just worked. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. The, that, the, the portal scene as we'll call it, because the, that, that's the, so, I'm a, I'm big about film soundtracks. I, I mm-hmm. love film soundtracks almost more than the films themselves. And yeah. so ever since Sunday afternoon when we got out of the theater, I have basically been listening to the Avengers Endgame soundtrack on repeat. Nice. <laughs> the the track that plays when everybody comes back and then there's that huge battle between the forces of Thanos and the forces of of, of light, we'll say, uh, is called Portals because of all those portals that opened up. Um and yeah, that portals moment was basically when like I, I just I just couldn't keep it together anymore. Like I, I'll straight up admit it, I started crying as as soon as everybody started coming out and the the, the strains of Alan Silvestri's brilliant music started to pick up, and it was like, oh oh man, they hit me where I live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The music is such a key thing, and I mean, like John Williams with with movies like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Jaws. I think it was Howard Shore with Lord of the Rings. Um, like when I hear the lighting of the beacons, I'm, I'm an emotional mess, regardless of what's going on in my surrounding world. Uh, so I'll definitely have to check that out. One of the things I was curious about, you know, when we talked about Thor and his uh, his appearance in this film, but for you, who was who the MVP of of this film? So MVP in terms of what they brought to the movie, in terms of the outcome of the storyline. It means most valuable player, Chris. 
<laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Be yeah. over here with my wine. Any way you want to interpret that. Who Michael's a helper. Yes, I'm a helper. <laughs> who was you think most valuable to the to the overall well being of this film? You know what? The 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 sleeper MVP is gonna be Nebula. Go on. This film doesn't fit together. Like the the time heist is great, and that's all on Scott Lang slash Ant Man, and you know that is what he brings to the table. The actual plan that goes about making the victory possible, but Nebula having to confront herself and her father again, who she saw die at the beginning of the film, and her sister again, who she knows her father killed in the prime timeline, you know. She's been brought up against a whole bunch of messy stuff from her past and is being given a second chance to do it right or a second chance to fall back in and get her father back, her sister back, etc. She could have ruined everything as shown by the the actions of past alternate Nebula, or she could have completely saved things as she did by taking out herself, which is really, really weird to say out loud. Mm. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say low-key MVP, absolutely Nebula. This doesn't work without the way they wrote her. Yeah, and Nebula was going to be a, just a future conversation topic, but let's just get into it now. She, as an actress and as a character, has been amazing in these mm -hmm. films. Her... You know, the one thing that, that I will not say worries me, but something I, I've spoken about with some other folks is just kind of the trope of female characters always having this traumatic, abused background. And mm -hmm. certainly Nebula fits in that category, being experimented on and abused by, by her father. And that has been part of her story since, since the beginning. And th her development as a character who was hellbent on revenge and then developed this bond with her sister and then, you know, kind of more got into this gray area of, you know, what are her motivations has just been a, very enjoyable to watch. So yeah, her, her story in this movie and how it propels forward, it's one of the linchpins to the whole experience, I think. And it's just mm -hmm. amazing to me that, Nebula is, and I'm not a huge reader of the comics, kind of similar to Chris, but I don't know, 10 years ago, does anyone outside of some comic book folks know who Nebula is? No, absolutely not. And, and now she's a linchpin to this multi-billion dollar franchise. It's, it amazes me. It staggers me. I just, it's so hard to imagine you know, Chris and I spent a lot of time on the show thinking about, like, what would 15 or 12-year-old Chris and Mike think about this? And, mm -hmm. like, if you told us, like, yeah, Nebula's going to be this character, we'd be like, even back then, like, wait, who's Nebula? What? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just what they've done with these characters and making you feel a connection to them, it's incredibly powerful. It's It feels like magic. Mm -hmm. Do you have an MVP or a Nebula thought there, Christopher? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it over and I'm, you know, I'm not even, I mean, again, Hemsworth, Bat Thor, 
that's my vote really in my heart but um <laughs> i you know i i, I just kind of and obviously he's sort of the mvp in the movie but um without the charisma of uh the portrayal of of iron man there's no way we're sitting here having this conversation and um you know he is very good in that movie as always um and clearly plays a very pivotal role in the movie. So, you know, I think for at least in terms of a lifetime achievement award, I'm I'm going to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet that was something along the lines of Chris Evans is great as Captain America, Chris Hemsworth is great as uh, Thor, and Scarlett Johansson is great as uh, Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man, <laughs> right? I. They just nailed that casting and going way back to the first movie and how this all started. Mm-hmm. If that if they cast somebody different and that movie flames out, we're not here. Well, I can remember when they announced that movie and you know, I was always a big fan of I'm blanking on his name, the director of, of Iron Man, Favreau. I was always a big fan of his, but I I gotta be honest of like you know, MCU like of, of just Marvel comic book characters, Iron Man is pretty far down the list for me in terms of I just never was that interested. And I know a lot of interesting things have happened to that character in the in the comic books, and as well as like who wears the Iron Man suit over the timelines of of the comic books. But it just it didn't do that much for me. And as like as someone that was waiting for a lot more high quality comic book movies to get made. Like when that one was announced, I wasn't that excited about it. And then, you know, you see that movie and it just, you know, obviously it just started the snowball rolling down the hill that became an avalanche. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I I reflect on from time to time is that, um, you know, when Marvel Studios started up as a as a thing, like it really wasn't a thing until Iron Man. And when they started up, they had, you know, Marvel as a comic book studio had gone through some terrible financial times. And mm-hmm. in order to keep the lights on, they had licensed out their various IPs to other studios, other production studios, right. so that they could make movies. You know, we had, uh, what was it, Fox with the X-Men and Sony with Spider-Man and so on. Universal still has first right of refusal on a Hulk film. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of all of this, when they decided to start making their own superhero movies, they were forced to go with their second string characters. You know, the Avengers are huge now in 2019, but in 2008, you say the Avengers to someone and they're going to think you're talking about that, you know, really odd Uma Thurman, Ralph Fiennes film from the late 90s. But, you know, if you were going to say, okay, who are the most popular Marvel characters in 2008, people are going to tell you X-Men. They're going to say Spider-Man. They're, you know, they're not going to say Iron Man at all. So I, I think, Chris, you, you don't have a, a very uncommon perspective on this. This right. is just the way it was. Iron Man was, I won't say unpopular, because I don't think he was ever unpopular, but he was a relative unknown to the mass market movie watcher. Mm-hmm. And and for me, where I get a lot of my comic book knowledge back in like the 90s and the aughts is video games. And I remember playing 
different. I think Marvel Ultimate Alliance was this game on Xbox or PlayStation. The fighting game? It wasn't a fighting game. It was sort of this isometric top-down. You had a team of three or four characters, and you would go through levels. It was almost like Diablo, but Marvel. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you you unlock different characters, and there was this, you know, for a video game, a, a pretty nifty story that introduced you to all the lore and some of the different characters and, like, the Avengers kind of banter back and forth. And that's where I got a lot of my information about this world before the movie cycle started. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew the basics about Iron Man, but every time I would see one of these movies, I was like, I'd go down some Google Wikipedia rabbit hole of saying like, Oh, how accurate is this to the, the origin story and the comics and so on and so forth. And then they just, they built upon this, what they call the Marvel cinematic universe, which again is just a, a genius marketing technique of just saying this is its own thing. Mm-hmm. So there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this is separate. It's related to the comics, but it's separate. And it gave everyone something new to latch on to. So you didn't have to read 50 collections of Iron Man to get a sense of who this character is. The movie's going to tell you. And you mm-hmm. cast Robert Downey Jr., and like he's going to portray – he's going to act. He's not just going to be there for a paycheck. Like He's actually going to do work. And it's like, oh, okay, I get who this character is. Mm-hmm. Um, and – you know, getting these big name talented actors to, to play these roles and to play them straight, to play them seriously mm-hmm. with, with certainly some humor, but it's, they've never really tried to just like wink at the audience, which I think some other franchises have tried to do, or they just can't quite replicate this alchemy that Marvel has created. Mm-hmm. I've written about this a bunch. It just, Every trailer they release, every marketing campaign, every rollout, they haven't really missed a beat over 20-some films, which is just amazing. It's it's so many talented people coming together to make this work. I just feel pretty fortunate that we're we're all in this timeline to experience it. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't help but agree with that one. One of the linchpins that actually ties all of that, you know, really superb group of of talent together is the uh, casting director for Marvel Studios, a woman named Sarah Finn. She has been the casting director for every single Marvel Cinematic Universe film since the original Iron Man when she was working for Favreau back in 2007. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that, you know, Brie Larson is a great Captain Marvel or the fact that Chris Pratt is an amazing Star-Lord or the fact that Robert Downey Jr., got to bring himself out on camera and be Iron Man. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think he played Iron Man. He just is Iron Man. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's all due to, you know, the the amazing vision of, of Sarah Finn and this one line that you can trace through all 20-plus films. And, Michael, back to your point about how the, the talent just keeps showing up and actually putting in the work. I was talking with uh, our mutual friend Brian Patterson this morning about oh, the film because we had both seen it on Sunday. And uh, Shout I was, out to D20Monkey on, on Twitter. Follow him indeed. if you're not already. 
follow him, read his webcomic at d20monkey.com. It's really great. Um, but yeah, we were, we were talking about some of the older films in the series, and we were talking about um, the first Captain America film, Captain America, the first Avenger. And I was, uh, I was mentioning how I was really pleased with Tommy Lee Jones's performance in a very small supporting role. He played Colonel Phillips, which was, you know, Captain America's first commanding officer when he finally got in the field. And, you know, he had a very low key supporting role and he kept his foot on the gas for the entire time. Mm-hmm. Dude was 64 years old at the time. He had an Oscar and four nominations. He could have mailed it in for just being a supporting actor in what was then just quote unquote a superhero movie, mm-hmm. especially how they did him as Two Face and Batman Forever back in mm-hmm. the 90s. But no, the homeboy planted his feet and delivered Colonel Phillips like he was born to do it. And Marvel keeps getting these performances out of these amazing actors, you know, Anthony Hopkins and Rene Russo. And the list goes on and on that they can just get this not only command this talent, but get them to show up and put in the work, like you said, Michael. Yeah. And and I think they've had some of the better villains that have been and put the screen in recent years. So, you know, we. We talked on the other podcast about Black Panther, and after I saw that movie, like as I was watching the movie, I was thinking, I kind of see Killmonger's point. Like he's, I'm sort, of, <laughs> I'm sort of on board with what he's got to offer. Maybe, right. maybe sand some of the edges off. I, I think the one movie that was a little hard for that was Age of Ultron. Love James Spader. You know, he think he's got so much to offer, but just the. The Ultron character, the CGI—I think there was just a little bit lost there, and there was a lot going on in that movie. It got a little—it got a little jumbled. But you know, even Thanos now, which could have been a, a CGI monstrosity, you know, you cast James Brolin and you give that character something to do. And you know, even though obviously you don't agree with Thanos's uh, reasons for for doing things it was like at least that's a character that's an actor trying Mm -hmm. to do something with that character it makes it makes it more compelling than just superman fighting zod and destroying the whole city (laughs) for no apparent reason it you know not to bash on dc or anything but there's just the the characters the investment that you have in these people has just grown over 20 years. And then this movie is the culmination of all of that, which brings me to another question I wanted to float by you guys of where does this go from here or better yet, where should it go from here? Like what are your ideas about what could, what should happen now? I can't help but notice that very, very subtly Marvel has set up the the beginnings like the 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 barest bit of roots for a young avengers team and i i I think that they were telegraphing this with the ending of of endgame because i i see a i see a very strong candidate for an iron lad i see you know a a much more grown-up cassie lang putting on the suit and i see there being a new heir to the Hawkeye legacy and we have Peter Parker back and he's still in school despite the fact the rest of his classmates have graduated in the last five years. (laughs) I I think that there's, there are a lot of young potential Marvel superheroes in the cast. I mean, the the fact that they brought back um, 
oh, what was it? The the kid from Iron Man three, the kid that in in Tennessee that Tony runs into and helps him lay low while he repairs the suit. Um, uh, yeah. That kid was at Tony's funeral in the very back. Mm. The camera panned right across him, and like half the audience was like, "Who's that kid?" Yeah, I totally didn't even recognize who that was. Yeah, I don't think they would have put him on screen unless they planned to use him for something, and he he would be a perfect fit for a uh, for an Iron Lad, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't believe they've really announced that much. I think the my understanding is there's a new franchise, The Eternals, or something right. that they're going to introduce at some point that Andy yeah, and that... Joe Lee and some other people are cast for. Yeah, and they've been handing it at that one here and there throughout the um, movies for a while. Um, you know, one of the uh, bonus scenes at the end had them finding the Adam Warlock, or I guess, I don't know, what would you call that where he is <laughs> stored or whatever. So, uh, yeah, th- that's definitely coming. Yeah, they've they've been on the record saying that Eternals is going to be one of the Phase 4 films. Um, a lot of the stuff that we know about the next phase of the MCU is television-based, oddly enough. Right. Um, the, the recent news about Disney Plus and their streaming service, I mean, isn't there – it's two or three new TV series? There's going to be a Loki yeah. series? Yeah, Scar- Scarlet Witch I know is involved. I don't know if it's Vision as well. Yeah, well, the show is it. called WandaVision. Yep. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting, especially seeing as how we we know from Endgame that Vision doesn't come back. So mm-hmm. how they're going to pull that off is going to be an interesting coup. And then time, there's time heist. Yeah, another time heist. Let's, time let's do heist it. Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that's one question I have, and I don't mean to derail the discussion, but no, is this idea of time heist and different timelines going to cause the, or open the door for them using characters that are supposedly dead in this main timeline just in other movies without really having to are they going to explain that are we going to stick with this central timeline of of what happened or people that like i would kind of think given there's another guardians of the galaxy movie that they want would want gamora to be around but it doesn't seem like she is i i don't know thoughts yeah, I was I was wondering, and this leads into one of the articles, and this was on the Ringer because I pulled it up here. It talks about it says Hemsworth has been at this since 2011 and has undeniably earned his Marvel retirement. But holy hell, Fat Thor and the Guardians for an entire movie! You could not inject that into my veins any faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to- totally on board, and and so, I dearly as hope Guardians that of the fun. Galaxy would yeah sign me up. I'd be there, and it's like yeah, you know. Volume three, the search for Gamora. Like I'm totally like the plot kind of write, writes itself. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know if that actress, if I think it's Zoe Saldana, if she wants to continue to be involved. Mm-hmm. That creates an interesting dynamic where all the other characters are on one timeline and she's on another. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship she had developed with Star Lord and other characters is not just there. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that would be something interesting they could play around with potentially. Right. So that certainly seems like there's going to be a Guardians three. James Gunn is back on board. I think people are are happy about that. And so that certainly seems to be a direction. I, there seems to be some new format of the Avengers coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I read that the the 
Scarlet Witch Vision show was going to take place prior to the events. I mean, I don't know how much time there really is between yeah. uh, the movies, but I, I thought I saw that somewhere, but I, you know, that's off the top of my head. And well, that I think they been said somewhere. that about Black Widow as well, that mm-hmm. she's going to have a standalone movie and it'll be it's before. It's going to be a prequel, yeah. Right. Yeah. So at some point... They have, now have the rights to Fantastic Four, which, again, going back 15, 20 years, I think those characters were seen as more of an A-level squad compared to mm-hmm. some of these other characters. Yep. They've been watered down by pretty forgettable movies, mm-hmm. so yeah. trying to build them up would be a challenge. <laughs> Starring Fox... some of the same people that were good in the MCU, awkwardly. Right. <laughs> yes. Fox just didn't know what to do. With the with the Fantastic Four, let's be honest. No, yeah. but uh, I I have confidence that Marvel Studios could could do them justice. And given that there have been at least by my count at least three Fantastic Four films, I don't think they need another origin story. I think we can just hop in and like people know the Fantastic Four, and if you don't, you can introduce them very very quickly. Make it part of the intro mm-hmm. title sequence, kind of like what they did with. Um, Oh, there was a – that's right. It was Brian Patterson telling me about Blade 2 and how they pretty much used the title sequence of Blade 2 to completely recap Blade 1. And then <laughs> if, you had, if you had never seen Blade 1, you just – you knew everything you needed to know and you were strapped right. in and ready. Well, mm-hmm. even yeah. this, the, the latest incarnation of Spider-Man, I don't really believe they spent too much time on a right. intro story. They had the advantage of the uh, the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans and the the one with um, oh I can never remember this guy's name. It was yeah the, I, I, no. the, the guy Garfield. who Andrew Garfield. That's right, the guy I who never played saw, Eduardo. I never saw and, those. Uh, the first two Spider-Mans, Tobey Maguire, were actually quite good. Spider-Man Two is a really good flick. Yeah. Um, three was a little bit of a of a calamity, but it was, mm-hmm. it was painful. Yeah. Well. We're talking about some of the, these characters and like what's next, but you know, we're talking about sort of the emotional closure for for t- Tony, Iron Man, Natasha, Black Widow, and, and Steve, Captain America. How did you feel about their send-offs? If this is all we're getting from from those actors and characters, I was pretty burnt about Black Widow. I mean, it's absolutely in character. It's exactly what she would have done. But part of me was really pulling for the whole Nat Bruce Banner romance take back off at some future date. <laughs> and the fact that that's no longer an option kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Um, I think I don't think there was any other way for Robert Downey Jr. to walk off into the sunset than to literally die saving the world. Like it just it wasn't going to happen any other way. And I think that was really well done. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of impressed with what they did with Captain America. I I thought that was very creative. What did they do? (laughs) So, okay. I'm joking. We don't have to. (laughs) No, I mean, it's it's good to just do a, a quick little recap. So the so Captain America went back in time or he he went through the the time portal machine to return all the. Yeah. Stones. 
Exactly. To return all the Infinity Stones to the alternate realities from which they were taken so that the the doom that uh, the Ancient One foresaw would not come to pass. He also took Mjolnir with him, which I will I, I, I will assume he returned to Asgard at its proper time so that Thor would have it when he needed it. And then he was supposed to come back to the 2023 present. Instead, he took an alternate path and he went back to 1940. Seven, I think, after the war, right. and he finally he finally got his dance with Peggy. He he lived out his life with Peggy the way he was supposed to, and then Agent old, Carter, yeah, right. yeah, Agent Carter, Agent Margaret Carter, first director of Shield, and you know the the principal romantic interest of Captain America, the first Avenger, and he shows up. Seconds later, instead of in the time portal, he shows up on a bench by the lake, like a short walk away, and they walk over and they see him there. And he's like, he's an old man now. He's like old Captain America. And it's like the yeah. beginning and ending of Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you that, go. That older character. It's like, oh, this is supposed to be old oh, Captain America. Okay, I get it. And he hands Sam slash Falcon the shield and says, this is yours now. So I don't think Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be a TV show anymore. I think it's going to be Captain America and the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. because Sam is Captain America now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which also happened in the comics and I think various incarnations, correct? Right. I, I know Sam got the shield and was Captain America for a time. Yeah. I don't remember the circumstances under which that happened, because like, like you said, I, I I am not very steeped in the comics books lore, but I, I am very steeped in the MCU. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, to answer your original question, Mike, I, I mean, the short answer is I liked what they did there. I mean, I, I feel like without being somebody that's, you know, I don't trade and celebrity gossip a whole bunch. Um, I'm not all over news about the MCU, but you know, I, I feel like it was kind of a known thing that um, both of those actors were kind of ready to be done and move on to other things. And um, I mean, in each in their own way, it just felt like really, really amazing send offs. And I also kind of like, that they gave some characters closure where it doesn't turn into like the, the sad wrestler thing where the person is like old and out of shape and, but people love the character. And so they just keep dragging them back for another movie because their other, you know, (laughs) the other films that they're making are not successful. And so it's like, Hey, do you want to make Iron Man 42? Uh, All right. Whatever. Rocky (laughs) 5,000. Oh, man. You, yeah. you say that and all I can picture is William Shatner and his last three Star Trek films. And I was like, oh, man, you 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 needed the money, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And definitely, again, all these actors are are not nearly any they're not in the mail it in phase. Like they're still delivering a performance. It's still compelling. And yep. it it does leave you kind of wanting more, but appreciating like if this is it, this is this is a good place to end. Mm-hmm. It, it does have that that sense of closure. I think with with Black Widow, it I think Hawkeye's been a bit of a whipping boy throughout the MCU for <laughs> for a lot of people. So 
if they were going to pick one, I think a lot of people would have been fine with with Jeremy Renner being sacrificed for the Soul Stone. Uh, yeah, but then there's just there's not the same emotional impact. And I right. think one of my concerns going into the movie was it felt like there was going I you could feel something like time travel coming. Like you you know obviously that some people like Black Panther were not going to be and and Spider-Man were not going to be dead dead coming off of the last movie and the worry was that it was just going to magically be, and we're all still here. High five, and you know, end of the movie. So no, I'm glad the battle. Exactly, I'm glad they didn't take that cheap route there and just be like, well, people don't really like Hawkeye, so yeah, here you go, Hawkeye. You you make the heroic sacrifice, and we get to keep all the characters we really care about. So yeah. I appreciate that. After they spent the first five minutes of the film establishing Hawkeye's pathos. I knew they weren't going to kill him off. And funny thing about that, like back when the first teaser trailer for Endgame came out, I saw it and I liked it. And I was like, okay, guys, you know what would have been much simpler and hit much harder? And I was saying this on Twitter and I described a teaser trailer that was basically the first five minutes of Endgame. It was just Hawkeye at home being family man and his family just disappears mm-hmm. cut to logo cut to black that's the end of your trailer <laughs> yeah, and then i'm great. sitting there in the theater and it is actually happening on screen in front mm-hmm. of me and i was like oh man they listened right. <laughs> the mind police were out they were yes patrolling mm-hmm. your thoughts what about this movie do you think might start to fray as the initial euphoria passes i think anything with time travel anything with a movie this long where there's so many moving parts there there could potentially be a few wait what moments and i'm wondering if any of those have been nagging at at you guys i think for me the one thing that i had a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around and i'll have to watch the movie again at some point um i'm hoping at some point there's like a friend or family member that hasn't seen it that wants to get to watch it and gives me an excuse to do so um, now you can just go to the bathroom like halfway through <laughs> right i I've, I've seen this already i'm just i'm gonna get another beer um no it's just uh i remember at some point in the movie um sort of thinking about that that Tony Stark was going to have to make this choice between sort of doing the whole, the whole time repair thing. And then he doesn't end up having the daughter like he did, that he's going to have to choose one over the other, like saving half of the population of the universe or his daughter. And he's going to make that choice, but that's going to be super sad. That's kind of what I was anticipating. And instead we have this weird where, thing where all of those events still happened and yet people are now alive that died like we rescued people and i guess i'm not quite sure how that all smoothly fits together going forward um and maybe we don't care maybe we just gloss over those x number of years where half of the you know everything everyone was dead and now suddenly they're not i i mean that's that i think that's the part that i you know had the hardest part kind of wrapping my head around how that works what that means 
yeah, that that's my ragged edge as well is is the time skip in general. I mean, I love that they did it. I love that they they forced all of the characters we know and love to show how they deal with a world in which they not only lose, but they lost for, you know, they had to deal with the consequences of their loss for five years. I mean, that's yeah. a long time. That's that's yep. twice the amount of time between uh, Ultron and Infinity War. And yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a big jump. And if there's going to be a whole lot of weird consequences, or at least there can be if they choose to acknowledge them, like mm-hmm. the, the, the counseling group that Steve <laughs> Rogers was was running in that school or the VA or wherever he was. You know, he was talking to people trying to move on from the relationships they had and try to find new ones. And there was that whole big exposition about this one guy who was going out and trying to date. And he went on a date with another guy and they they tried to make it work. And, you know, it had mixed results, but it, it definitely they went out of their way to illustrate that people are trying to move on. And now, like, imagine if you're one of these people who was left behind and your spouse is gone, dusted, and you've spent the last five years mourning, and now you're trying to move on. You've met someone, you're with them, and now your spouse is back. Awkward. Right. You know, and th- that's the kind of thing that I hope they go into a little bit. I, I'm really hoping that in Spider-Man Far From Home, they address this because there were kids at Peter's school who stayed behind and hypothetically graduated because it's high school. It's only four years. And now Peter and ostensibly all of his friends, because they've they've all been shown to still be in school with him in the in the trailers for Far From Home. A- apparently, these kids were all snaptured. That's kind of mm-hmm. weird. You know, all, all, they're going to come back and go to class and half the people that they went to classes with are going to be five years older than they are and off in college or off in the world. And they're still juniors in high school. It's going to be weird. Right. Yeah, I feel like someone and maybe it already exists out there needs to explain with cool visuals how the the timelines <laughs> jump and sync up again it does feel like something that if you spend way too much time thinking about it it's sort of the specifics crumble apart because we're talking about time travel so there's the time heist piece so they're still in the snapped future five years so they they go back they get the stones they bring them to the current time Mm -hmm. correct yes and then Thanos figures this out. Then he jumps ahead to that timeline. Right. Correct. So t- 2014 Thanos and his forces come fight 2023 Avengers. So if he dies in the future, then is he still there in the past to do things? Like you, you start asking all these questions. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. And there, there's a moment when they jump back in time where where Loki steals the, I think the, the Tesseract. And he's gone. It's like, okay, well, what's he up to now? That's where your Loki TV show comes from. Well, mm. potentially. Um, I, I will put, I will bet 10 crisp dollars on it. But how does that <laughs> affect everything else in, in the timelines? And I, I think with this, you just there's not going to be any perfect answer. It's probably something that's just like, well, you just kind of have to roll with it. 
Yep. Um, and it's interesting. I think people are more willing to roll with this stuff because it's because it's comic book, it's a movie, it's spectacle. Mm-hmm. Whereas with you know the recent episode of Game of Thrones, people are really angry about logistics of how a battle went or how this person <laughs> ended up here. Yeah, people are I'm in furious. that game. I mean, I'm not furious, but that well, was the worst worst battle planning I've ever seen from people that were supposed to be good at this. But meanwhile, we're jumping timelines and in and out of other movies, and it's like, oh, this is fantastic. Give me more. So yeah, I, I wonder how that will age. I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker for folks. It'll be interesting, as Dwayne said, to see do they even address it mm-hmm. in the future? Well, I mean, comic books do such utterly ridiculous things um, <laughs> over their lifespan. I mean, some of that is like as comic book storytelling evolved over, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, however long it's it's been. And for, for even some of these characters that are in these movies have been around that long. And there's just been, I mean, I made the, the Thanos copter joke when we were um, organizing getting together for this, but that is a thing that exists in a comic book. Um, granted one aimed at kids, but Thanos literally driving around a helicopter that, you know, on the tail has his name Thanos on it and just kind of being big yellow copter, just being a, where was the Thanos copter? Exactly. Just being a weak sauce, uh, you know, Spider-Man villain for, for a comic book. So, I mean, there's so many dumb, 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 dumb things that happen in comic books that what is going on in the MCU is highbrow, you know, Citizen Kane like stuff compared to things that happens <laughs> like in the comic books. And so I, I think we're pretty willing, you know, especially anybody that grew up reading them. Anybody that read Secret Wars is pretty willing to forgive, you know, a lot of these things that happen in in the Marvel universe. And if you're if you're taking it too seriously, you're you're kind of missing the point, which is where they're succeeding and some of the other um, you know, DC comic book franchises are failing because they take themselves way too seriously. Yeah, and this movie, I, I think Ragnarok maybe started this, although I think each Avengers movie has had, you know, some self-referential banter. Mm-hmm. Um, but Captain America looking at himself after he defeated him be like, that is America's ass. Like, that's... <laughs> that was probably the best line in the movie. Hilarious. Like, and just being able to realize, again, they're all taking it seriously, but they're, it, it, there's a, there's a, a funness Right. To, to these movies. Um, I, I think Ragnarok had so much uh, of that. I think somebody referred to it as like the gayest superhero movie that's ever been uh, put <laughs> to film. Uh, it's just so, so good. Uh, uh-huh. And this movie, whether it's favorite line or a favorite moment, uh, kind of a little bit different than the what worked and why, but just what was, what was the one thing you remember the most from this flick? That's a good one. There are so many memorable moments, but I, I'm going to take the cheap cop out. It's It's got to be the portal scene like that. That's that's what I see when I close my eyelids and it's just painted on the inside. <laughs> well, especially now that you have um, framed it in the idea of the, the old comic book splash page. I, I kind of love that. So now that's stuck in my head. I mean, the you know. Exactly what he said, you know, that is America's ass or whatever is, again, maybe my favorite, like, little moment. And, again, 
all the fat Thor stuff is amazing. <laughs> when he tells uh, off the kid playing Fortnite. Uh, yeah. Just, just that whole scene of them hanging out, basically being like, you know, loser stoner college roommates together in, you know, his new, uh, Asgard, uh, community is that cracked me up. Um, yeah, I'm I sorry mean, to interrupt Chris, but... to the dude, yeah. but I just I kept thinking I was thinking like it's Floyd from True Romance. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I do yeah. love Floyd. I'm sorry you're gonna say. No, I'm sorry for interrupting, but um the the biggest shock of the film was in that scene for me because the I just couldn't believe like beyond all of the amazing powers on display and the time travel, etc., the most unbelievable part of this film for me was the fact that in twenty twenty three we're still gonna be playing Fortnite. <laughs> right. <laughs> that might be more of an indictment of culture than anything. <laughs> hey, if you're playing Fortnite, good luck. I just I don't have the skills to hang in that game. It's it's passed me by. I, I know when season, hangs... season thirty seven of Fortnite is gonna be amazing. We've already seen it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now do they adjust the, the size of the player pool like because of the the whole snapshot thing, like is it a is it a fifty person battle royale instead of one hundred now? It's a, it's a good it's a good question to ask. I don't See, know. These are the these are the important important questions that the MCU has to tackle going forward. <laughs> Pre snap versus post snap versus timeline Fortnite. Like, what are mm-hmm. the rules? How does yeah. it work? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think my favorite thing that I'll, that I'll hang on to is just the whole time heist. Just that that phrase that captures so much and how much I enjoy heist movies. That whole genre of films is fascinating to see it with a bunch of superheroes is uh, just, I thought really clever. And the fact that it, it touched into other movies from the franchise is you see star Lord from an earlier movie doing his thing. And it just was so well executed, even though if you start to pick it apart, like maybe it falls apart, but like watching it, it just I I was kind of riveted. Like I I turned to Chris and our other friend afterwards. I said that did not feel like a three hour movie. It just had these segments that you go from one into the other into the next. And like I again, I was at we were at the Elmo Draft House, and I I didn't even feel the the need to order food or more drinks because <laughs> I didn't want to miss anything. I was just like, oh okay, I'll do it in a bit. But it just the movie never really let up. So it was great to experience it on opening weekend. I'm. I'm hopeful that movies like this continue to exist so movie theaters don't go away. I agree. I grew up with movie theaters and I know everything's going to streaming and, you know, watching in the convenience of your home. And I just, I enjoy the movie theater experience and I want to be able to take my son to movies like this, you know, as he gets older, I don't want movie theaters to go away. So if it's going to take, a bunch of superheroes to make billions of dollars in the theater so we can keep having movie theaters. And I'm, I'm all for it. So you're saying you need the superheroes to save the movie theater industry. I mean, yes. they're qualified. They're qualified. <laughs> and there's probably an argument. Some would say like, it's the superhero movies that are killing cinema, but that's a different podcast for a different day. <laughs> but overall, I mean, maybe along those same lines, what are your thoughts about just the MCU the last 20 some films what this has done for movies how you've experienced them what are what are your final thoughts about this phase of the marvel universe and what it's been like to to ride along over the years 
Well, I mean, I think for me, the where the, the reason that I feel like this movie succeeded is there are a lot of those. What was it before? 22 other films? 21, I think this was 21. 22. I think this was the 21st. Okay, so there are 20 other movies. There are a lot of those movies that I saw once and basically never thought about again. And after seeing this movie, I kind of wanted to go back and watch a bunch of them because I've... You know, I'd forgotten things that happened to them, forgotten th- things that tied into this movie in minor ways. And it just kind of made me want to go back and see them again. And to me, that's a huge tribute to kind of the bow that they tied on this whole timeline. So I'm kind of like, well, I'm not any longer. But at one point, not very long ago, I was the opposite of Michael. I was not a theater goer, mainly because of a string of really bad theater experiences. You know, there's only so many times that somebody can, you know, talk super loudly over the film or, you know, constantly have their cell phone on before you're like, you know what? I've got a big TV at home and I can pull the curtains and I can just wait until the movie comes out on video and I'll watch it at home where I can control the environment. And it really wasn't until the MCU got into full swing that I started actually going to the theater more often. Prior to Iron Man, I maybe went to a theater three times a year and now that number is going up, not just because I'm going to MCU films, but because I'm going to more theaters to go see other films as well. It's kind of gotten me out of my shell. So maybe to your point, Michael, it it could be saving the theater industry, because if there's more like me who are actually going there more often because of these films, that that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. My, my hope is that – and I, I think movie theaters are hopefully – cluing into this that they need to be a little bit more vigilant about patrolling the theater and like Alamo is very clear like they tell you like if you're texting we give you a warning and if we see you again then you're out like oh I've, I've heard the stories about Alamo they they do not take anybody's crap there and I love uh, that and you can write something on a card and like these little ninja waiters and waitresses come by they take the card and you can order food or say like, Hey, this person behind me won't stop talking. And they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll ask the person to leave. Like, uh, Although I, that is my one kind of funny thing about that is they're so militant about those things. And yet they have these waiters that are, they do a pretty good job of not walking in front of you, but sometimes they do have to walk in front of you, like in the middle of this, you know, really tense scene. And you're like, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> did you really have to bring the, uh, Pizza out right now. Could it wait a few seconds? <laughs> uh, I, I am a little jealous. The closest Alamo Draft House is 50 miles away, so I don't think I'll be going there for uh, <laughs> for, for any uh, usual that's, films. That's reasonable. I mean, I used to drive from Atlantic City up to Philly to see Flyers games, I guess, but, you know, it's possible. Yeah, but you got the ACE. That's really fast, so. Yeah, <laughs> understood. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, talking about the movie Dwayne I appreciate you coming on to uh, join Chris and I and talking about Avengers hey it was a lot of fun yeah it was good to have you if folks want to uh, find you online how can they uh, interact with you well, you can first find me on Twitter at Valthonis. That's V-A-L-T-H-O-N-I-S. I also blog over at Valthonis.net. 
And that's pretty much it. Oh, oh, yeah, of course, I also have a podcast. Uh, you can listen to me almost every week. Uh, on Thursday nights, we go live with Hammercast, and it's a weekly news and discussion show on the world of gaming and gaming-adjacent topics. There's talk about the actual tech behind gaming, things like computer parts, the upcoming consoles. In fact, just last episode, we talked about the uh, the Wired interview that came out where they had an exclusive they had exclusive access to the dev kit for Sony's next PlayStation console. And okay. some very interesting tidbits came out of that. Cool. Excellent. But yeah, you can find Hammercast over at hammercast.fm. Okay. Chris, where can folks find you? You know, I'd, I've... I think I've been doing a good job of actually being on Twitter and interacting, especially with anything around this <clears throat> podcast. So that's at GeekZinga on Twitter. Yep. And I'm at the id, D-M, T-H-E-I-D-D-M. And I will say thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Go see Endgame. Agree. Right. Go see Endgame multiple times. Keep theaters alive. Yep. Yes. So thank you for listening to this episode of Childhood Ruined. If you'd like to support us, best thing you can do is share the episode. Uh, leave us a review also on iTunes. That's also a great way to keep the show thriving. And if you'd like to get a little bit more involved in the show, you can reach out to one of us on Twitter. Or I also have a Patreon account that you can check out and see if you'd like to support the show that way. You can see that page at www.patreon.com dot com slash the id dm t h e i d d m thanks again for listening